bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name. Good morning, the sun comes up. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning, it's time to sing your song again, whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the
can't find the words to pray I'm a little down today Can you help me? Can you hold me? I feel a million miles away But I don't know what to say Can you hear me? Anyway What I need Is for you to reach out your hand You have taught me no matter what you'd understand Wait. 
good morning. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. We are so glad that you're with us today. If you're new to us, and we're new to you. My name's David. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're watching online, welcome. Maybe somebody invited you to watch today. Maybe you're on the patio, you're the video venue, wherever you're at. We're glad that you're with us today. I'll be out in the patio afterwards, kind of connecting with people, hopefully meeting new stories about people who are checking out our church for the first time. And so I'd love for you to join us. Before we dive in today, I just want to give a short, quick announcement. Uh, our growth group session is going to be starting for the fall really soon here. You'll start seeing uh, tables on the patio starting next week for uh, really uh, giving you an opportunity to find a place to connect. Uh, really, a growth group session takes you from being like an attender of our church to being part of the family. And so we'd literally like to hone in on that and have uh, as many people as possible jump into a group and, and feel connected, feel like family to our church rather than just attending on a Sunday. And so with that in mind, I want to let you know that we have heard, we've listened, and uh, we hear you, we see you. There are young families that are saying that some of the groups are just are offered too late. Most of our groups go from 7 to 9 uh, p.m. And so we are trying to start a couple new groups that will do like a six to eight, still have childcare, maybe a little earlier, maybe some of the young families can participate in that. And if that's still too late for you, we want to know. So what we need right now is for you, uh, after our gathering together, see Lisa outside and kind of let her know what would be your preference. And also, if you are willing to host at your home or lead a discussion about the message, uh, we would love to know your name and who you are so we can start more groups as well. So that's going to be after today, after our gathering. Make sure you head out, see Lisa, and make sure you get connected with her so we can make that happen for you all. We're looking for at least two to three more new groups in that special kind of age demographic. So if that's you, please make yourself known and let us, uh, let us serve you in that way. All right, with that, let's get started. I don't know how uh, conniving you were as a kid, but it's amazing to me how uh, these things travel along with us as we get older. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, uh, one of my uh, favorite uh, comedy stand-up bits was a guy several years ago who would talk about how he as a father had a son who just wanted the cookies out of the cookie jar. And, and no matter where he put the cookie jar, his son would find a way to get to that cookie jar. Uh, he talked about one time how he placed it on the highest, uh, you know, shelf above everything else, and the kid would still try to climb the shelves to get to that cookie jar. One day he was coming downstairs from upstairs, and he saw the kid coming down from the shelf with the cookie jar in one hand and with his hand on the other trying to climb down from the shelves. And, and finally he says, what are you doing? He, and, the, and the boy says to his dad, I was just getting you a cookie. And, and, and then he responded back in exasperation, I don't want a cookie. And the boy looks back at his dad and goes, well, can I have it? It's pretty conniving at a young, young age, and yet that travels with us. I remember when I was in junior high, fifth, sixth grade, I went to a very, very poor, uh, it, was like a, it was a private school, but it was in the hood, and so they would do these uh, fundraisers every year, and for three weeks, we would sell the world's finest chocolate. Everybody had one of those kind of things? Yeah, yeah, it's a lie. That's not the world's finest chocolate. There's better chocolate out there in the world. There really is. There's like Ghirardelli, but whatever. They, they con you into that, and you, and you tell the kids to go sell it, and I was like, I, I want to sell it because I wanted to win the 
surprise at the end of three weeks. If you sold the most boxes in your school, you got like a $300 gift or you got a play system. Or one time there was even like a limousine ride to San Francisco and got to eat at the Hard Rock Cafe. And every year I'd be like, I'm going to win the prize. I'm going to win the prize. I had a goal of selling one box of candy every day. So 21 days, I'd be like 21 boxes of candies. There are 36 candy bars in each box. Uh, and uh, so one a, one a day would be trying. So I would literally stand outside of like a, a Vons or a Ralph's and I'd stay there until the wee hours of the morning, like 11.30 at night. I'm still there. I'm fifth grade. And I'm walking home, by the way, in the hood. Not smart. Don't have your kids do this. All right. And I'd sit there and I would try to sell these candy bars. And I'm like, I got three left and I'm not leaving until I sell my last three candy bars. Finally, I find this little old lady who's walking up. I go, perfect. And I go to her. I go, ma'am, would you please buy my last three candy bars so I can go home and go to bed? And it would work every time. She was like, here, hon, here's three bucks. Get out of here. And I'd walk home and I'd sell my box of candy bars. Pretty conniving. And it it travels with you as you get older. I remember when I was in high school, I had a buddy named Bobby Swanson. Bobby Swanson was the oldest in his family. And part of the family rules was he was to, uh, uh, to, to serve his siblings whenever they have like fast food. So if they came home with McDonald's, he was supposed to sit his siblings down, give out the cheeseburgers, the hamburgers, the quarter pounders, the filet of fishes and all the, the French fries and whatever. And then he could finally eat. But part of that deal was since you have to serve your brothers and sisters, you get the French fry surprise at the bottom of the bag. How many of you know there's a French fry surprise at the bottom of every McDonald's bag? Yeah, it's the French fries that fell out of the container and it's at the very bottom. There's usually five or six of them at the bottom of the bag. Well, I thought, man, that's a pretty good prize. I mean, if you're going to have to serve your brothers and sisters, you might as well get a prize at the end. And it's cool that your family, you know, did that for you. Man, that's like pretty cool. I wish I had that kind of a job. And I thought that was pretty cool until I realized that when he was walking from the car to the table, he would shake the bag. And he'd shake the bag in front of his brothers and sisters. Look, look, I'm shaking the bag. And then he'd feed them all. He goes, oh, look, a French fry surprise of 35 French fries. <laughs> yeah, pretty conniving. And yet it travels with us from a young age all the way up into high school. And how many of you know that it even travels with us even into adulthood? Uh, pretty conniving, starting at a young age and yet it can carry on with us even into adulthood. Today, we're going to take a deeper dive into King Saul's conniving ways and see how we struggle with some of these same activities in our own lives. How do these childlike manipulative actions find their ways into adulthood? And what is the result thereof? Where do we uh, see these largely human tendencies show up in our lives, and how does that mess things up spiritually? When do we espouse these conniving dispositions in our hearts and our adult lives? And how does that interfere with our true calling? For that, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 15. I encourage you to open your Bible there. Hopefully you brought it with you. I'm trying to encourage people more and more to bring their Bibles. If you have your phone right now and you have a Bible app on it, open it up. Even though I can't hear the pages, I will assume that you are looking at the Word of God. And uh, uh, we ask ourselves, why do we go to church? Why do we come to Camarillo Community Church? We come to Camarillo Community Church because we're a Bible-thumping church. We're a Bible-believing, Bible-thumping, verse-by-verse, paragraph-by-paragraph, teaching church. We've been in 1 Samuel for I don't know how many months. I think we started in January, and we'll be in it probably till next January and, and further along. Uh, we don't come to this church because your pastor happens to be the most fittest guy at the CrossFit gym. There's other churches for that. <laughs> 
You come here because we teach the word of God and hopefully you bring a copy with you, all right? So 1 Samuel chapter 15, uh, verses 17 through 31 is what we're looking at today. And, and we're really looking at human tendencies today. The overarching question is how can human tendencies derail our chances of getting things right with God? How can our natural, kind of fleshly human tendencies derail our chances of getting things right with God? Like there's, there's, there's some things inside of me, a disposition inside of me, a, a human tendency inside of me that actually can alter my chances of getting things right with God. And that's what we're gonna see. How, do, how does that happen? And first we're gonna see that these tendencies can blind us to our own excuses and motivations, uh, these natural tendencies, human tendencies that everybody has, they can actually blind us from seeing things that are true, seeing our excuses. They can blind us from seeing our inner motivations. We can be blinded by those. We can, we can convince ourselves things are not true because we're so blinded to these things. We're gonna see that in verses 17 through 31 together. Watch as I read. It says this, and Samuel said, though you are... Little in your own eyes, are you not the king of the tribes of Israel? Now, this is Samuel talking to Saul. And the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote uh, to destruction the sinners, the Malachites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoils or the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of, the, king of Amalek, and I've devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the best of things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, it is better to, better to, it is better, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. You could circle that, highlight that. That's a great line. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. For rebellion as is sin is as is, is as the sin of divination and presumption is as the sin of iniquity and idolatry because you've rejected the, Lord, you're, uh, rejected the word of the Lord. He also rejected you, has rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. I've transgressed the commandments of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return to me that I might bow before the Lord. Interestingly enough, he asked Samuel to pardon his sin. That's a God thing. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you've, been reje for you've rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned to go away, Saul, see Saul seized the skirt of his robe and tore it. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret. I like the the translation repent there better. Also the glory of Israel will not lie or repent for he is not a man that he should repent. Uh, then he said, I have sinned and yet honor, uh, honor me now before the elders of the people and before Israel and return with me that I might bow before the Lord your God. And Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul bowed before the Lord. Let's stop there. How can human tendencies derail our chances of getting things right with God? 
we're gonna see three different ways, three different tendencies that Saul has in, a, in relationship to God and his mistakes. And I want you, as we're looking at this, to ask yourself, have I espoused that tendency? Have I ever utilized that tendency? Have I ever been that kind of conniving or manipulative with God? And just put yourself in the seat of Saul and ask yourself, have you done this yourself? The whole setup is very interesting. Uh, Samuel comes and he says, hey, you do remember when that, that whole time when you were like the humblest person in all of Israel. Uh, if you remember the beginning of the series, when they first came on to call Saul as king, he was hiding with the luggage. He had this like inner, inner view of himself. It's like, I'm too low. I'm of the wrong people. I'm not, I, 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 how can I be the king? He actually had an appropriate humility about him when he began the whole thing. Uh, my, my son last night was laying down with me in bed and we were looking at the message. I was kind of doing final preparations and Sebastian asked me, he goes, does Saul ever become a good guy? <laughs> he just sees things like, you know, Marvel comics, you know, good guys and bad guys, right? And, and I was like, it's an interesting question you asked Sebastian because Saul began as a good guy. Actually, he had the right disposition. His heart was right. Who am I to be king? I'm just gonna hang out over here by the luggages. Man, I don't, I don't know if I, if I want this. This is too much for me. But somewhere along the way from the beginning point to the end point, things get bigger in his mind. And as we're gonna see in our text, his head grows and his ego gets larger and larger as he goes. And so uh, Samuel comes to Saul, you remember that time when you're the humblest of the humble. Uh, and now you're the king. And by the way, as king, God gave you an assignment. You were to go out and take out them Amalekites. Uh, everybody knows them as sinners. Everybody knows them. Their, 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 their works go before them. God was going to use you to take them out. And the whole setup is to get to the point where he asked the question, now why didn't you do that? These were wicked people. Literally the name is synonymous with wicked people. Habitual sinners is the idea. It'd be the New Testament equivalent of calling somebody a pagan. Uh, you're a pagan, you're just evil. Uh, or even Gentile in certain circles got that kind of idea. Samaritan was a bad word in the New Testament. Uh, uh, you, didn't, you, you wouldn't use a four-letter word. Uh, instead, you would say Samaritan, and that would be like cursing. And so literally, that's what the Amalekites were. They, their reputation was set before them. Everybody knew them as an evil people. And Saul, your job was to take them out. God promised that he would take them out for their atrocities hundreds of years past, earlier, and now he's coming, it's time for that promise to come due, and you didn't do it. Why wouldn't you do it? He was attempting to judge them for their wickedness on the earth, and yet you didn't do it. Now we're gonna come to the three responses of Saul, the three different responses that he has against this charge that you didn't do what God called you to do. And I want you to see them. Uh, honey, if you can get to uh, verse 19, the most beautiful lady in this church is running our PowerPoint uh, pro presenter today. I'm gonna do a lot of flipping back and forth, baby. I'm sorry, but we're gonna get there together. Uh, first thing we're gonna see is Saul denies that he made a mistake and then he blame shifts on the people. Uh, not me, it's not me approach. Now, I didn't do this. this is a, I didn't make a mistake. It's a not me approach and he blame shifted on the people. Let's look at verse 19 and you'll see that. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and, and do what is evil in the sight of the Lord? Uh, it was God's battle. His is the spoils of war, and you took it for yourself. And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone out on mission on which the Lord sent me. I did everything he told me to do. And I brought back Agag, the king of uh, Amalek, 
and I've devoted the Amalekites to destruction. This, this is so interesting because even in his answer, he doesn't realize that he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth. I did devote all the Amalekites to destruction, except for I kept King Ahag, or Agag, I say Ahag, Agag. If you had devoted them all to destruction, there would be no King Agag alive. And yet in his mind, I did everything. I, I won't take any responsibility for the mistake he made. Instead, he blames the people. I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. I brought back King Agag. But verse 21, but the people took the spoil and the sheep and the oxen, the best of the things devoted to the destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Egel. Listen, it was the people who grabbed all the spoils, not me. And by the way, they had a great heart in doing it. They wanted to give a sacrifice to you. And so he's spinning this thing, manipulating all the facts, saying even the people who did this had good intentions because they wanted to bring a sacrifice to you. Well, to this, Saul res or Samuel responds with a theology of obedience. A theology of obedience. And uh, he starts with this in verse 22. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in, being, in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to listen than the fat of rams, for rebellion is, 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 is as the sin of divination and presumption is as the sin of iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. He goes, let me, let me tell you a theology of obedience. Let's talk about a theology of obedience. Basically, he almost quotes Isaiah chapter one, verse 11. The Lord takes no pleasure in sacrifices or burnt offerings. Jesus in Matthew uh, chapter 15, verse eight, Mark chapter seven, verse six, you come near to me with your mouth and you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. If, if what you're doing with your hands, the activity with your hands, doesn't match the attitude of your heart, then it means nothing to me. This only matters what you do with your hands, the activity of your hands, if it matches an attitude of the heart towards God. Otherwise, it's just busyness. And that's what, he said, let me tell you what really matters to God, that you obey him, not disobey him and then bring him a sacrifice as if everything's okay. Sacrifice must be offered on God's term, not our terms. By the way, God doesn't need our sacrifices. Do you realize that? Sacrifices are for us to get right with God so we can meet him. He doesn't need it for us. We're not doing it for him. We're doing it for ourselves to get cleansed before God so we can approach him. And here, Saul's using like, well, this is what we were doing this for you. Well, you've been you, you misunderstood sacrifices. That's to get you right. And so obviously you can't be right if you're disobeying along the entire way. Obedience surpasses sacrifice. Obedience surpasses religious activity. Obedience surpasses religious observance. Obedience surpasses religious ritual. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey my what? Commands. That's how you really show you love me. What are you, what are you doing with this heart that you say you love God? Are you obeying him. In fact, disobedience is likened to the sin of divination and, uh, and idolatry because in those realms, you're looking for the God of self. How do I get what I want? Let me go over here to these tarot cards to try to get what I want or whatever it might be. That's what disobedience looks like because you're saying, I don't want to do what you want, God. I want to do what I want. 
Interestingly enough, Martin Luther, one of the great reformers, uh, is quoted as saying, I had rather be obedient than be able to do the work of miracles. I'd rather be obedient than to be able to do the work of miracles. We sometimes get so uh, uh, drawn to the activity, and yet God says, I want the activity with the heart. Activity minus the heart means nothing to me. Activity with the heart means everything to me. And so Saul denies he makes a mistake, and he blame shifts it on the people. It's like, I, I did everything you told me to do, and then he admits that he didn't. And then he blames all the people. And it's the people who took all the, 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 the spoils, not me. Response number one, to deny that you ever made a mistake in your own proud heart and to blame shift on others, the not me approach. Let's look at response number two. And this is the idea that Saul confesses that he made a mistake. So he gets to the point where he does confess he made a mistake, but he excuses the mistake. You ever done that? I confess, yeah, I did that, but it's because of this. And it's really understandable when you think about it. I mean, uh, yeah, I did do that, but no, but really it's understandable because of this. So he confesses the mistake for the first time, which is opposite of what he did the first time, and then excuses it for fear of the people. This is the yeah, but approach. Yeah, I did, but, but it really doesn't matter because of this over here. I want you to see that in verse 24. Let's jump there together. And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I fear the people, I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin, as if Samuel, that was an activity that Samuel would do, that's a God thing, and return to me that I might bow before the Lord. Confesses that he made a mistake, but he excuses it because he was scared. Okay, all right, all right, I did it, I did it, I did it. But I was just scared of the people. Well, interestingly enough, your job is to fear God and fear God alone. In fact, you're supposed to lead the people in fearing God. You're the king. And so even in your admission of, yeah, I did it, but, you know, it's understandable. I feared the people. Wait a second, I'm God. Only fear me. And again, this approach fails. And he's really asking, uh, hey, I messed up. All right, all right, uh, level with me, uh, uh, Samuel. Why don't you come with me? Come, come worship God with me. I want, I want to get right back. I want to get back in the, in the right, uh, right uh, uh, relationship with God. Why don't you come with me? And Samuel first says, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And verses 26 through 29 tell us why. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you've rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And Saul turned to go away, and, Saul, and, Saul, and Samuel turned to go away, and Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and he tore it. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given, you a, to the neighbor, given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or I would say repent for he is not a man that he should repent. We'll stop right there. So this interaction happens. Saul, or Samuel goes, I'm not gonna come back with you and worship a God with you. As if everything's okay, when you, when you sit there and you 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 you. You lie about making a mistake and then you blame shift it on the people and then suddenly you finally confess it. But even then you still have this excuse of, of saying it was the people's fault that I was scared of them. And he turns away from Saul and Saul grabs him. Now this is really interesting, this whole interaction between uh, Saul and Samuel on the grab of the robe. I, I, there's a lot little nuanced here that if you're taking notes, you're gonna want, you're gonna wanna uh, double down on. And that is this. To seize the hem, quote unquote, seize the hem was a, was a gesture of supplication and, and submission. 
It would be akin to a final plea for, wait, final plea for mercy. Wait, wait, wait. Please, just one more time. Please, just give me one more shot. Interestingly enough, as a priest wearing a robe in the Old Testament, or as a prophet wearing a robe in the Old Testament, anybody who was devout in the Old Testament who wore a robe would have tassels at the edge of the hem of their garments. And those tassels were to remind everybody in Israel that you are to obey the commandment of God. That's what those tassels were for. So the irony of here Saul grabbing at one last, give me one last bit of mercy. And as he grabs the hem of the robe, he's grabbing the tassels that, that Samuel's wearing. Those tassels represent to do the commandment of God. He said, wait one more time. And yet the irony of the very thing you're grabbing is symbolic of the thing you didn't do and wouldn't do and haven't done and won't do, namely follow the commands of God. Finally, the hem of his robe rips and Samuel takes the opportunity to show him that it symbolizes the fact that God has now torn the kingdom away from Saul. It's been ripped away from him. Another interesting fact, if you were an Old Testament uh, uh, husband and you wanted to divorce your wife, you know what you would do? You would symbolically tear the hem of their, cloth, of their robe. In essence, a divorce between the two of them, and here it would be symbolically, he would be symbolically cut off from God as far as his ability to reign as king over Israel. Really, a lot of irony and symbolism in that whole interaction there. You plead for one last bit of mercy. You grab onto the commandment of God that you never listened to in the first place. It tears away from you just like the kingdom of God tears away from you. And God has divorced himself from you and your kingdom reign over Israel. Really profound. Well, that's number two. Let's look at the third response of Saul. Saul confesses that he made a mistake and then reveals his true inner motivation before the people. I want you to see this because this is really good. Verse 30, verse 30. Then he said, I have sinned. Okay, so he's finally to the point of confessing. Yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel. Now we see the true inner motivation. Hey, uh, this, is the, this is the safe face approach. All right, listen, I messed up. But I need you, Samuel. I can't turn back to this kingdom without you. This thing was supposed to be run by prophet and king. And if I turn right now, and you're not with me, how will I save face, save face with the people? So the whole time we see this crescendo of what was really important to Saul. Well, first I'm gonna deny he even made a mistake, and I'll blame it on the people. Then I'm gonna try to excuse the mistake, and then finally I'm gonna get to the point where it really matters to me. Would you just come with me so the people will still follow me? I mean, I need to save face before the elders of Israel, and there's no way they're gonna follow me if you're not with me. The save face approach. Half-heartedly admits his mistake, and then he asks Samuel to help him save face. When confession of sin is closely linked to the concern over public image, the quality of that confession is suspect. I think we've seen that a ton in the Christian church across America in the last 10 years. When confession of sin is closely linked to concern over public image, the quality of that confession is suspect. 
Well, Samuel obliges and says, fine, I'll go with you. Uh, the question becomes, why would he finally go with him? I think the reason is that Samuel is concerned about the kingdom and the people. Samuel's concerned uh, is different than Saul. Saul's wanting to remain in charge and, and have his influence, where Samuel's more concerned about a kingdom and a people in transition. He's concerned that the national order continues until God puts his man in place. But we talk about human tendencies to deny mistakes and then blame shift, to confess mistakes, but add on a cute little nice excuse, to confess mistakes with really a hidden agenda of a more um, deeper desire inside. We all do it. And in the process, we miss out on our true calling. How can human tendencies derail our chances of getting things right with God well, they separate us from our true calling. They, they, they can blind us from our, excuse, from our excuses and inner motivations, and then they can separate us from our true calling, separate us from what God actually has for us. Let's look at verses 32 to 35. It says this, Then Samuel said, Bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. Uh, probably thinking this was a good thing that he's being presented to a prophet rather than to some kind of executioner. And Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Ahag into pieces before the Lord of Gilgal. And then Samuel went to Ramah and, 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 and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah, Gibeah of Gibeah of Saul, and Samuel did not see Saul again, that is, he didn't arrange a meeting with Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he made Saul king over Israel. How can human tendencies derail our chances of getting things right with God? Well, they separate us from our true calling. It was Saul's job to go and take out the Amalekites and take out the king, and here Samuel's having to do it. Agag originally thinks, man, this must be a good thing. They're gonna, they're gonna let me slide. I'm not gonna die like everybody else died. And then Samuel goes, no, I pronounce judgment on you. Bloodshed begets bloodshed. It's kind of like an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You killed and you shall be killed. And he chops him up. But the interesting thing here is the very beginning of this whole thing, the very beginning when, when, when Saul was established as king, it was very clear at the beginning. You remember in the series, the prophet will be the voice of God and the king will be the hand of God. The voice of God tells you what, what, where to go, what to do. The hand of God levies the judgment that God brings on. And so here's a reversal of things. Samuel's having to do the hand of God activity when he's just supposed to be the voice of God. And he has to go out of his way and do what was there for, what was purpose for Saul to do. He has to go ahead and do it. Then the two, the pair that's supposed to lead the kingdom together is now divided Saul never initiates another meeting with Saul again. They would talk again. They would see each other again. But it never at the initiation of Samuel. And the estrangement between Samuel and Saul becomes representative of a permanent estrangement that existed between Saul and the Lord. Just as the Lord grieved over Sam, uh, Saul, Saul's uh, decision, so did Samuel as well. And now the story begins to shift to a new king that would be to come. And we'll start seeing that next week in our series. Which brings me to the big idea. All this boils down to this. Becoming big in your own eyes can result in you becoming small in God's eyes. 
Becoming big in your own eyes can lead to your becoming small in God's eyes. Once we think we are bigger than we should be, our head begins to expand further than it should expand, then God starts viewing you small. When you exalt yourself, God humbles you. When you humble yourself, God exalts you. Becoming big in your own eyes can result in you becoming small in the eyes of God. This was Saul's problem. It was a, the ego, and it's hinted at the very beginning of the section. You remember when you were just little in your own eyes? You remember when I found you at the baggage claim? You're like hiding in between the luggages. Not me, not me. Do you remember that? And somewhere along the way in your own mind, you became the stuff. You started off down here, but by the end, you thought you were way up here. So much so that when you win a battle, you think, well, I won the battle. God didn't win the battle. And because I won the battle, I deserve the spoils of that battle. Not only that, I deserve a monument. Remember last week? Put a statue of me. I want people to worship me because I won this battle. His mind and his head had increased. His ego had gotten so big. He had an iceberg condition. <laughs> we look at the story and you go, man, on the surface, it only looks like a little bit. But you go underneath underwater and you see the iceberg and you see, oh my gosh, an incredible mass underneath. I don't need God anymore. I fight my own wars, win my own battles. And yet it leads him to a place where God stricts the kingdom away from him. Becoming big in our own eyes can result in you becoming small in God's eyes. Let me see if I can close this with an illustration that some of you who were teenage boys in the 1980s might take you down memory lane. It's about 1987, and there's a new wrestler on the scene in the WWF at the time, World Wrestling Federation. His name is the Ultimate Warrior. Anybody remember that guy? Yeah, he's like my favorite wrestler of all time. Within a year, he had conquered the Intercontinental Championship. Within three years, he had beaten Hulk Hogan at uh, WrestleMania six, Body slammed him and everything, and won the Heavyweight Championship belt of the world. He had two belts, the Intercontinental Champion and the Heavyweight Champion, and he beat the immortal Hulk Hogan. Apparently, there's a lot more going on behind the scenes than we will ever know. Only to come about 20 years later in some documentaries, you see, Ultimate Warrior, Jeff Helwig was his name. He had thought he was pretty, something pretty special. And he wrote a letter to Jim McMahon. And he said, you know what? <laughs> I'm bigger than anybody else you got in this organization. And so I require from this day forward, I want to be paid the same as Hulk Hogan. I want the same uh, dressing room uh, um, uh, privileges Hulk Hogan has. And I want the same suites in the hotels that Hulk Hogan gets. And until you oblige my requests, I'll just stay home. Can you imagine the heavyweight champion of the world not showing up to the next pay-per-view event? Jim McMahon, forced to oblige because he had a, a champion, obliges for a couple short months until he can write him off the script. And he writes back a letter to, uh, to Helmut, or the ultimate warrior, and he says this, Hulk Hogan is a living legend. You are a legend in your own mind. You're fired. All of us have to work on this idea of being a legend in our own mind. I'm going to tell you one theological truth before you leave. That is this. God doesn't share his glory with anyone. He is jealous for his own glory. 
And he's the only being who can be jealous for something and it not be sinful. Do you know why? Because he's deserving of it. And as soon as our brains expand and we think we're something and our egos grow, he, he says, you know what? I'm gonna set you down because I'm jealous for my own glory and I'm the only one who deserves it. Our job is to the, to the antithesis of Saul and make sure that we keep our heads appropriately low and continue to worship this God who's given us everything that we have. Don't become proud because of how much money you have in your 403B. Don't get all excited because of how many houses you've bought. Don't get all impressed with yourself because your business is multiplied many times over. Give God thanks for the abilities he's given you. Praise God for the situations he's put you in that you can enjoy that and then give back to him out of thankfulness for what he's done for you. Bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's pray. Father, we all struggle with it. Man, I, I'm reading through this thing, looking at this going, I excuse my mistakes all the time. I convince myself I didn't do anything wrong all the time. I blame shift on others all the time. I have nice moral reasons for what I do all the time to excuse my own behavior. Help me appropriately seat myself low and seat you high. Help us all seat ourselves low, seat you high. Confess where we need to confess. Come by the blood of Jesus once again and be forgiven for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. You kind of lost me on that professional wrestling illustration. I was a teenager in the 80s, but I had friends, so I didn't watch professional wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this uh, today's message, you know, I was thinking about it. It's really about the heart, um, you know, it, and God looks at the heart and cares about the heart. It's not about religious observance and going through the motions or looking like you're the thing. It's about what's under the surface that matters. Uh, and that goes for giving, too. You know, we all know the verse, God loves a cheerful giver. You know, that's important that we're giving with the right attitude and heart. So as we get back to the Lord today, we're gonna to do that online. There's three ways to participate in that. I just ask that you uh, consider your heart in giving. And are you cheerful in your giving? Are you giving for the right reasons? Or are you just doing it out of religious observance and going through the motions and down underneath, there's no substance. Um, so think about that today. Um, and you know what? And if it's you're not a cheerful giver, then don't give it, then just keep it until your heart's right with God, because that's much more important. All right, before we uh, go today, we're gonna, I wanna thank Jeremy Dibler for joining us today. He's, uh, yeah. If you were in my youth ministry in the late 90s and early 2000s, and you were here at this church on a Wednesday night, we very likely were playing the band FFH, um, in the room, and he was the lead singer of that band. We're going to do a medley of some of those classics now before we close. So. I got nowhere to turn, I got nowhere to hide, and I got no out. 
Hope for the 
Well, good morning. It is good to be here with you. We've had such a fun weekend together at the retreat. Um, and you look in the mirror and think that you look okay, and then that happens. You see yourself on a screen like that. My New Year's resolution was to lose 20 pounds. I got 25 to go. True story. Man, it's been fun this week. Um, I've never, I mean, I've been playing music a long time, and I've never had someone um, invite me to come play music um, and then actually give me the set list of my own songs, like Kelly did. He said, this is what we're planning. He sent me a video of him playing them on piano. I was like, well, he's the boss, I guess. This is my son, Hutch. He's here. Usually my wife Jennifer's with me, but um, our daughter Sadie Claire started school this week. So Hutch is with me, which is fun because he can't tell me what to do like she can. Anyway, hopefully you recognize some of these songs. Where could I run? Where could I hide? Where could I go where you are not? Where could I be where you don't see? These demons chasing me. What kind of sin could I find myself in? Where you wouldn't stop the world from spinning round and round. When it seems like I am upside down. But in your comfort I have found a safe place to fall. Where could I fall? Where could I land? Where I'm not resting in your hand? How could I stray too far away? Where you will leave the 99 to come and bring me back? Put me on your shoulders and carry me around your neck until it's safe to fall. singing this week. You're welcome. I've been here grounded far too long. 
to sing a different song I've seen my troubles long away I want to sail towards the sun I want to turn another page I'm on my way I'm ready to fly I'm ready to soar I'm ready to leave this world behind Open up the door I'm ready to go I'm ready to fly Fly I'm ready to 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 fly guys are lucky this is unbelievable for me we uh my wife and I go play music at churches and sometimes the band will sit in with us and sometimes we're like oh boy but I heard these guys sing this week and then the band this morning I was like oh my goodness this is gonna be fun except Kelly no that's not what I meant that was a weird pause except Kelly picked songs that are all very high for me to sing. I didn't mean except Kelly. <laughs> that was a weird edit, I know. Um, but um, here's what I'm thinking. Because these songs are so high, and I wrote them, this song I wrote when I was a teenager. Uh, it was his age. Um, it goes like this. One of these days. Do you remember that? Okay, stand up a sec. Yes, yeah, st stand up a sec because you're gonna sing that part, because I can't. So when we point to you, you're gonna go, one of these days. Easy. One of these days I'm gonna fly over the mountains. One of these days I'm gonna ride on the silver lining. One of these days I'm gonna witness what I've been missing One of these days You remember this? One of these days I'm gonna do All the things that I've never done I'm gonna finish all the races That I've run but I've never won And I'm gonna see a million faces Recognize everyone Here comes your part One of these days 
Savior face to face one of these days. One of these days I'll finally see what became of me on the day that I believed. When you took myself from me, I believe I'll see what it would have been if you hadn't saved me. Talk with all the saints that have gone before, and in their sandals I will walk, and we will sit along the shore. I'll learn everything that I never knew before. All this and more. finally be in the place where there's no more need, no more pain, no more grief, and no more foolish disbelief, a joy and it will be, and at last we finally see one of these days. Jesus face to face One of these days One of these days Well we have been extremely blessed. We've had three days with this amazing gentleman and his son, and he has truly blessed us with our own ministry. He's truly blessed me personally, and I am a huge FFH fan, so being able to sing and play with a musical hero of mine You were. Epic. <laughs> so, yeah, I was. I was. But if you'd like to uh, check out, so Jeremy's written a couple of books and journals, We'll put that up there on the screens. If you want to pull out your camera, you can check out his website, jeremydivo.com. 
and uh, he has just done an amazing job in not only uh, music ministry, but also uh, with the gift of writing and coaching. So with all of that said, also check out FFH.net as well as uh, Spotify, iTunes, all that. Go listen to some gold, golden classics. And then Hutch dropped a song Friday. So you can also check that out as well. With that, check out what's coming up at CAMCC. CAMCC, I'm Nevaeh Hurtado, and I'm part of the Middle School Ministry, and I'm glad that you are here with us today. If today's your first time with us, welcome. If it's your second time with us, glad you're back. If you're our first time guest, we have a $5 Starbucks gift card for you. All you do is grab a connected card, fill it out both sides, and take it to the welcome counter in the lobby. Or scan this QR code with your phone's camera and let the welcome counter know you filled it out digitally. You can also let us know how we can be praying for you on that card as well. If this is time number two for filling out a connection card, we have a $10 gift card to In-N-Out Burger. Just let us know it's your second time at the welcome counter and it's going home with you. We will also invite you to our all-you-can-eat dessert with our pastors, elders, and staff. If you're watching online, go to campcc.net slash next steps. There are many great things coming up at CAMCC. Be thinking about who you will invite to join you. Wednesday, August 16th, worship night at 7 p.m. These are powerful nights encountering God's presence. They continue to grow, so get here early to grab a seat and watch God move. And kids, you don't want to miss this. Birth to pre-K is PJs and popcorn. Come in your pajamas and eat, eat, eat. And K through fifth, back to school bash with worship, scavenger hunt, and root beer flow. This is a night that the whole family will enjoy. September, growth groups are kicking off next month. This is a great time to connect with others in our church. It feels like a family as you do life together. Sign-ups coming in September. If you can't wait, email jimwire at campcc.net or go to campcc.net slash groups. Sunday, October 8th, Ryan Stevenson in concert at 7 p.m. CAMCC welcomes Dove Award winning and Billboard charting artist Ryan Stevenson. You know his hits such as Eye of the Storm, Amadeo, and The Gospel. And co-writing Toby Mac's Grammy-nominated number one song, Speak Life. Speak Tickets available on our website, October 20th through the 22nd, Women's Retreat. Ladies, you can now sign up for the Women's Retreat held at Mount Crags in Calabasas at campcc.net slash women. For more info, connect with Allison at campcc.net. of what's going on at Camp CC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to campcc.net. Please stand for the send-off. I'm Andalyn Ziegler, and I'm a worship peer leader at Camp CC. Um, something I got out of the message today that was, um, it's important to be humble because as we can see with the story of Saul, if you're egotistical, you can become small in God's eyes. Um, thank you, Jeremy, for coming today and worshiping with us and for leading the worship retreat. It was such a blessing to be able to acquire some knowledge that he has. Such a wonderful guy. Um, remember, this Wednesday is the worship night and back to school bash for kids at 7 p.m. And join us on the patio for some coffee and some donuts, and I'll see you next Sunday.